Well, it's good to be in Claremont. I appreciate you letting me come here and share. Uh, I believe that uh, amongst people that are not, don't know the Lord, they're not Christians, and uh, even amongst some of us that are, that our understanding of our God is uh, not right. I had a, don't have it with me, there's this excellent quote, I think by Tory, said he believed that uh, most error in doctrine comes from a wrong understanding of God, and that makes sense to me. We know uh, from uh, the news media and perhaps from conversation we've had within our families or outside of our families that a, a number of people uh, think God is, uh, if they believe in God at all, uh, we'll get to that, something to add to that in just a moment, uh, that he's angry and that he's mean and that he's just waiting to get you for that. Uh, and that's not the message of the scripture. Now you can lift things out of scripture that uh, could cause you to think that. Uh, certainly his dealing with Israel and the, the judgments that came down on them for their refusal to obey him are pretty horrific. But that is not how he deals with you and I. Uh, quite the contrary, and I've discovered in talking with uh, a lot of men and some women uh, inside the jails that once their thinking can get past God being an angry God, uh, things change in their perception. Uh, one thing is that they, uh, the, the atheists seem to disappear. Uh, Ray Comfort, you may have heard of, does a lot of evangelical work, and he's got a book out and I think a DVD called uh, God Doesn't Believe in Atheists. I heard another speaker not too long ago uh, say that he doesn't either, and the reason is because according to Romans chapter 1, everybody has a knowledge of God in, in their being, and God builds that into us. And so atheism is a reaction to something, a reaction not wanting to be under God's authority or not having uh, him explained uh, well, or even a worse case, maybe raised in a family where the impression from dad or maybe dad and mom is that he was very judgmental and harsh and mean and angry all the time. Uh, and that would cause a person to want to reject that. Now, they're still responsible, but they'd still want to reject it. I discovered, thanks to Mr. Comfort, good ways to uh, convince people that there is a God. Uh, in Russia, we ran on you know, lots. They got taught there for 74 years. There was no God. Didn't work. People still knew there was a God. But a lot of them bought into it. Uh, and I remember one particular inmate uh, was in a cell. This guy was facing imminent death. He was in a, uh, 
a TB cell, and these guys were displaying symptoms, and they were in pretty bad shape health-wise. There had been a group of about six of them that had all come to Christ about a month before, so they were new believers, just beginning to learn about God and what's in the Bible. And then they put another guy in there who was a very outspoken atheist, and he was just tearing them up. Uh, he was asking them questions they couldn't begin to answer. And the ministry team came by again, and we opened that cell. And uh, the first guy that we saw when he this little hole in the cell, he said, there's an atheist in here. And so they grabbed the guy and brought him up, just talked to him. And I thought, oh, great, you know, <laughs> what do I do with this? Uh, and so I asked the Lord what to do with that, and I remembered some of the things that Ray counseled. And I said, they say you're an atheist. And he said, yes, I am. And I said, I don't believe that. He said, why don't you believe it? I said, you seem far too intelligent to be an atheist. And that put him into confusion, and so he wanted to know what I meant by that. And says, so well, to, to say there is no God, you must have all knowledge in the entire universe. Because if there's an area you're unfamiliar with, maybe that's where God is. And there's evidence of God in that place. He thought about that for a little while, and I said, do you have complete knowledge of the entire universe? He kind of shook his head, no, he says, okay, I'm an agnostic. <laughs> Quick change. But still didn't move him any closer to the Lord, although it did move him off of there is no God. And we had a very interesting conversation after that. Uh, I found that I had many of the same fears of God that non-believers often have. I've been, a, I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old, but there were still things I was afraid of about God. And one of the things I wrestled with for quite a long time was his only begotten son got nailed to a cross after he'd been mistreated his whole life, the worst there at the end, and my sin got put on him. Why isn't God the Father really angry with me for the suffering his son went through on my behalf? Okay, it paid for the sin, and he lets me into heaven on that basis. But back in the back of my heart and mind, there was this, there's got to be something there. Because I was humanizing God, thinking he thinks like me. And how hard it would be for me to give up some terrible sacrifice to help someone else. And, okay, I'm glad you're helped, but... And that's not the way it is with him. Uh, he chose to do what he did because it was the right thing to do. He chose to do what he did because of his great love that he has for us. And that is the message of the Bible. Not that he's angry. He's angry at and with sin and that had to be paid for, and that's why Christ went to the cross. But he's not angry at the sinner. Uh, there's a song that we sing sometimes, and it just uh, really resonated this recently with me because it addressed me. It addresses that, uh, that thing. It's called, Oh, Make Me Understand It. It's in the Red Book. Uh, we're not going to sing it, but... 
The chorus goes, oh, make me understand it, help me to take it in. Would it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin? And even uh, after, I think, coming to a, a better understanding of how God isn't angry about that, in singing that song, I would think in terms of the crucifixion and him bearing my sin. And one Lord's Day when we were singing that, it's like the Lord said, you know, there's another way to look at that. Uh, how, what the joy it gave me to set you free from your sin. That I love you that much that I would endure the cross, I would endure, I would despise the shame, as it says in God's word, that he did, because of this deep, deep love I have for you. That whatever it took, I'm going to bear away your sin. And I thought of uh, sacrificing when you raise your children. Now, you don't feel angry with them about that. You're, when they're delivered and they're saved from something, even if it's just a little injury, you're glad they're were protected or saved from. You're glad you could do something to help them. Uh, back when uh, my wife and I didn't have kids yet, we were walking along uh, with a young family that did have, they had three or four boys, Gordon and Nancy. We were walking along this little trail and one of their boys uh, stumbled and he fell backwards and it was just like a kid will do, you know, he's just no control, he's just going back. And his head was gonna hit a rock. And we were behind him and so I just knelt down and got my hand behind it. I couldn't catch him fast, fast enough, but I got my hand behind his head so he, his head hit my hand, and my hand hit the rock. That didn't hurt me. I mean, it was, didn't feel good, but it there was no permanent damage or anything. Uh, and I was glad I was able to help him. Wasn't worried about damage. And he, he wanted to tell his dad. His dad's so busy talking. Uh, he didn't pay any attention to the little kid. And finally, the little kid just turned around and looked at me for a minute. <laughs> that was thanks enough, you know, just... Uh, I'm glad that he didn't get hurt, that somebody intervened and protected him. Jesus Christ intervened to protect you and me. We could not face, survive, facing the consequences of our sin. That's another big issue uh, when talking to people, particularly outside of the jail, about Jesus and God and salvation. We just sang a number of songs about you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a terrible, rotten sinner, and thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And that's the truth of it. But who wants to hear that stuff? Uh, almost nobody. Uh, the, the people aren't particularly pleased if you come up and say, look, you're a sinner, and you need to know the Lord. Not a good way to start most conversations. Um, there's a way uh, to communicate that. Uh, the question that can be asked even, uh, that I learned, I got taught to ask, is uh, 
asking if I can ask a personal question, and the person says yes. Uh, I say, do you feel like you need to be forgiven by God? And I said, I don't know anything about your past. I don't know anything about you at all. Do you feel the need to be forgiven? I asked a man that. First time I had the nerve to ask that question, it was a man I knew had stolen something like thirteen or $1,400 from the company that I worked with you know, for and um, many, many years ago now. And he knew that I knew that. And so he goes, yeah, yeah, I feel like. And I said, no, well, you don't work for us anymore because I've just been over there to fire him. So I'm not your manager anymore. So let's play like I don't even know that. If you stood before God right now, do you feel like you'd need to ask his forgiveness? And he said, not really. And I said, well, on what basis do you think he could let you into heaven? And he said, well, I think that, you know, what I've done that's good is better than what I've done that's bad. And so what he's standing on is his own perception of righteousness. I'm not a sinner. I'm not someone who needs some kind of saving. Uh, Betty and I knew a lady in Russia that had, uh, she and Betty had gotten pretty close in a pretty short time. And um, she called us one afternoon and told Betty that she had been diagnosed with uh, stage four lymphoma, I think it is, what it was, it was called. She was scared because the Russian doctors had uh, given her no hope and uh, they'd sent the uh, paperwork to, to England. Some other missionary group had sent it there and got it reviewed by doctors there and they sent it back and said it's accurate. She does have stage four lymphoma. And uh, it really frightened her. Well, what frightened us was we knew she was going to a church that did not tell people how to come to Christ as Lord and Savior. She thought she was a Christian because she was trying to be like Jesus. And um, so uh, with permission, we went over to her apartment and spoke with her and explained the gospel. We asked permission, can we tell you about Jesus and salvation? And yes, you can. And and after talking about these things, and she found out that before God, the Bible says everybody's a sinner. It's not Christians are not sinners and non-Christians are. We're all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's not said in an angry tone. It's said in a please understand this tone. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, and that's why we need a Savior, because we can't save ourselves. Falling short of God's glory means we can't enter his presence, because sin and a holy God can't occupy heaven together. Only holiness can be in his presence. Perfection can only be in his presence because his holiness and his righteousness are like white hot fire when it comes to confronting sin. And it'll destroy um, in his presence anyone who comes to him with sin. 
it creates sin. Uh, sin creates a debt against God, against his holiness. But way back in the beginning, God created Adam, and Adam was sinless. Eve was sinless until Adam sinned, and Eve went ahead and committed the first sinful act and they got uh, they died spiritually because of that something has to pay for that sin and we can't pay for it a sinful man can't pay for his own sin money can't pay for it in the book of Psalms, I believe it says, don't even try to pay for your brother because the cost of just one soul is so great. Well, Jesus Christ paid the price for all souls when he died on that cross. It had to be what it was. God being born as a man. No human father born as a work of the Holy Spirit so he did not have a sinful nature like you and I have. Had to be that way. So that he could be 100% God and 100% man, face all the trials that you and I face, maybe for different causes, but the same things. Cause the same feelings inside. Yet he didn't sin in anything he, he faced. He only did what the Father told him to do. He only said what the Father told him to say. Lived in complete obedience to God the Father, which is what Adam was supposed to have been doing, but failed. So, uh, out of his love, he wanted to restore his creation, that is you and me, back into fellowship with him. And the only way to do that was pay the sin debt. And the only way to do that was for him to pay it himself because we couldn't pay it. No matter how hard we try. If it was possible for me to hear this and think, okay, I understand, I'm not going to sin anymore. And if it was possible not to sin anymore, it's not possible, but if it was possible, uh, it still wouldn't take care of any sin I committed up to that point. Future righteousness in my life doesn't pay for past sin. It doesn't work like that. Sin could only be paid for with the sacrifice of holiness. Lena said a very significant thing after we explained that kind of thing to her. She said, I always wondered why they called him the Savior. I thought we were just supposed to be like him, and that made us Christians. And I didn't understand. I was being saved from something. I didn't understand it. She didn't recognize her own sin. But she did when she heard about it. There was a man in the Robert Presley Detention Center who panicked when um, he read a verse in the Bible, so much so that they wound up calling for a chaplain, and I'm the one that wound up seeing him. And he read a verse that said, don't fear him who can kill the body, fear him who can kill the body and the soul, and cast him into hell. 
and it just terrified him. So he knew he'd lived a very terrible life. Young man, early 30s, but he, fear of God, actually fear of the consequences of dying in his sin, but he didn't understand that, entered his heart, and he wanted to know how he could avoid hell. And so we sat down together and began to tell him some of these same things. That for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a marvelous thing. Somebody to the rescue. And talking to him, I talked about Jesus going to the cross and getting nailed on the cross. And while he hung there, God the Father put all of the sin on God the Son. All of my sin. All of your sin. And I began to name sins because a lot of the men need to hear it. And I won't go into detail with what I named, but anything that's apart from God's holiness is sin. Uh, he doesn't say, you know, that when he, in the Ten Commandments, when it says we're not supposed to steal, it doesn't put a dollar value on it. Theft is theft. And it's the heart attitude that would allow the theft that is the problem. So we're supposed to be moral. It's the hard attitude that would cause us to be interested in immorality is where the sin lies. Now acting on it's a sinful act, but the sin takes place in the heart. So every piece of pornography, every bad word, God, taking God's name in vain, in fact, having anything in my life that's more important than God is himself, according to the Ten Commandments, is sin. It's less than God's perfection. It's falling short of his glory. And there's a price to be paid for falling short of his glory. And that price is separation from a holy God. But it's not because he wants it that way. That's why Jesus came. To pay for that sin debt. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He doesn't say get fixed behave, clean up your life, and then come to me. So we can't clean up our lives. And whether we are some of the most wicked that you find in the jails, or whether you're living what other people would view as a clean and moral life, any error from God's separation from God's perfect holiness is sin. And it separates us from him. And so Christ had to die for you too. Well, as I began to name sins and saying, Jesus paid for and name it. Jesus paid for and I named it and so on. It wasn't very far down that list till the man sitting there, tears started rolling down his face. And he asked a question. He said, why would he do that for me? Humility had entered his heart, unlike the guy, that first guy I mentioned that said, no, you know, I, I don't think I need to confess anything before the Lord, before God. This criminal said, I need, I need a Savior. 
I'm a sinner. Well, that fellow that I talked to earlier, I asked him if he'd like to know God's standard for getting into heaven, and he said yes, and so we turned over to Exodus 20 and read the Ten Commandments. Not really verbatim, went down and just named them as we went down through it and explained in a practical way, like we were earlier, anything more important in my life than God is himself uh, is a sin. And having impure thoughts, uh, entertaining impure thoughts, uh, is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Lying is a sin. And those sins separate us from God. God can't be mocked. He knows exactly what's in our hearts and minds. We can't fool him. Be silly to try. The important thing is recognizing that sin is in my life and it creates a sin debt against God. Jesus paid that sin debt and he paid it willingly and he paid it completely and he paid it for people to be able to repent of their sin or at least want to repent of their sin turn from their sin to God, turn away from being their own God, running their own life, to letting God do it. Since he designed us, it kind of makes sense. Um, Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now for somebody who has heard a judge say, Guilty. Uh, hearing there's no condemnation is a joy. If you don't feel guilty, it doesn't make any difference to you. If you don't feel guilty before God, it's because we don't have a good view of how serious sin really is, no matter how mild in our view the sin might have been. That song has a good prayer in it, wanting to understand what it meant to the Holy One to bear away our sin, the deep love that he has for us. The most famous verse in the Bible doesn't talk about judgment. It doesn't talk about sin. Uh, quite the contrary, what it talks about is Jesus Christ. The, uh, the thing a lot of people don't read or the next few verses after it, because that talks about why people go to hell, what causes the condemnation. Uh, I remember talking with another chaplain, uh, and uh, he didn't believe that everybody's sin was paid for. He believed only the sin only got paid for by those who gave their lives to Christ. When you become a Christian, then your sins get paid for. And uh, there's a there's terminology for that. We won't bog down in that stuff. 
but it's uh, God didn't pay for all. Jesus didn't pay for all the sin, even though the Bible says He did. They don't believe that. People that believe that theology, and uh, He wanted to know, you know, why I thought uh, the the other was true because He said God would not be just if people went to hell. Uh, if all the sin was paid for. It wouldn't be right to make the person pay for their sin if Jesus already paid for it. And his, he remembers first, Terrell was his first name. TJ is what he went by. And I said, well, TJ, I don't believe anybody goes to hell to pay for their sin. And he looked, what? Well, I don't. I don't because Jesus Christ paid for all the sin. So if a person dies outside of salvation, outside of Christ, they're not going to hell to pay for their sin. If they went to hell to pay for their sin, eventually it would be paid for and they'd get out. But the Bible says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. There's eternal separation from God. Um, and it says that What's the problem? Right after that most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, God so loved the world, God so loved the world, not angry, not hateful, not mean, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And here's where it explains what happens if you reject that. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him, that is Jesus Christ, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's the rejection of Christ that sends a person to hell. Is that sinful? Yeah, it is. But it's not a sin that you pay for by going to hell. It's the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ that sends a person to hell. It's hard for some people to put their arms around, but that's what it says. It doesn't talk about payment of sin. It talks about payment of sin. It talks about it in the context of Jesus Christ paying for it. It talks about dying in your sin because you haven't been set free from the consequences of being in your sin. But what God says... What he pleads with us to do is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's the message from our holy God. It's not a message of anger. It's not a message of, I'm going to get you. Quite the contrary. He didn't even make hell for people. He made it for the devil and those critters that follow the devil. Um, 
he wants us in heaven. He wants us in this perfect, loving relationship with him, even like some of those songs we're referring to. Sheltered by him with his arms around us. That's his image of relationship with the likes of you and me. The Bible says in the first chapter, well, before, I was going to say the first chapter of John, but before we get there, in the first letter that the Apostle John wrote, John 1, uh, 1 John 1, uh, it says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now again, that doesn't sound like an angry God to me. Confess means basically to agree with him. That I, that, you know, my attitudes, my pride, my, uh, the things I do wrong that I don't call sin but are, uh, they're wrong and I need to agree with you that they're wrong. So I confess, Lord, I agree with you that it's wrong and I, I need to change my ways. I need to come under your guidance and your counsel and your authority so that my life can be fulfilled in the way that you designed it to be. And we don't have to follow the world and its standards and the confusion that comes along with it. So if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That verse used to confuse me. Faithful, I understood he's faithful, but how can the just part have anything to do with that? Well, it has to do with the sin had to be paid for. And Jesus Christ paid for the sin, so he's faithful and he's just. He doesn't say, well, I, I love you, so I'm just going to skip it. I'm not going to worry about the sin in your life. He doesn't say that. He knows sin kills us, so he isn't going to forget it. Quite the contrary, it's got to be paid for, and so that's why Jesus Christ came to earth. He paid for the sin. So God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what? Then we can stand before him pure and holy, and it says that in the book of Jude. That we can stand before his glory in heaven. If we receive the free gift of salvation that is a free gift because the Bible says that um, it's not by works of righteousness the Bible says um, matter of fact we ought to just read it let's go over to Ephesians chapter 2 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. I don't earn my salvation. I can't pay for it. It's a free gift. I often tell the inmates just before we give them something that it's a gift, but um, there's two aspects of a gift. One aspect of a gift is that you don't pay for it. It's not a gift. You can't give yourself a gift. You can go buy something for yourself. 
but it's not a gift because you paid for it. So somebody else has to pay for it if it's a gift. The other aspect of a gift is that it's up to you whether you receive it or not. If it's truly a gift, you don't have to take it. It's being offered, but you don't have to take it. I know within a family you might feel obligated to take it, but you don't have to. Keep the peace in the family, you may feel like you have to. But in fact, if it's a gift, you don't have to take it. And that's this free gift of salvation. It was paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's being offered. Free gift. But we've got to take it. We've got to receive it. Or it's not ours. And we'll tell the, the inmates when we offer a gift. Says, We're going to offer you a gift. But it doesn't become yours until you take it. Knowing it's available doesn't save your soul. Receiving it, that is putting your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ said and did will cause you to be adopted into God's family. The Bible says in John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. God gives you a right, nobody can take it away. That resonated with the Russian prisoners and the American prisoners both, because lots of their rights get taken away. Um, but that's a right nobody can take away. A God-given right to be called a child of God. I remember in a cell that had around 40 or 50 men in it, after sharing about Jesus Christ and what it took to be saved, this is in a prison in Russia, I told them we were going to lead them in a prayer. Anybody wanted to receive Jesus Christ, to use their own words, because the words weren't particularly special, but we were going to talk about confessing sin and acknowledging Jesus was the substitute paid for my sin on that cross. And receiving him, repenting of my sin and receiving him as Lord and Savior. And uh, after the translation was done, one hand shot up. And, you know, what, what is it? And uh, he said, this, all this is good for you. You're from America. You were raised believing in God. You know about these things. We don't know about these things here. You have faith. We don't have faith. And I thought, oh, brother, what do I do with that? And my brother wouldn't have known the answer, so I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, what, what do I do with that? And he put a question on my heart to ask the man. And I ask anybody here that may not know him, may not really belong to him yet, do you wish it was true? Do you wish that it would be possible to have all your sins paid for? Do you wish that you could have a close, loving relationship with your Creator? Do you wish it was true? And the man that asked the question started shaking his head yes when he got the drift of the 
question and several others in there started shaking their head yes I wish it was true I said well you're according to the Bible you won't come to salvation if you're not being called and so if you're wishing it was true that's spiritual discernment and it says that you know the natural man doesn't understand the things of the spirit so you wouldn't wish it was true you wouldn't care you'd be bored right now so if you wish it was true that's the holy spirit putting enough faith available in your spirit to give your life to jesus christ he's calling you and saying please for your sake come it doesn't help Jesus Christ for us to come to salvation. It helps us. We're the ones being saved, not him. He longs for us to be saved because he loves us that much. Do you wish it was true? Do you wish you could have new life in Christ? Do you wish you could start over? Do you wish you understood some of this? If so, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now, calling you to salvation. And I know there's a whole lot of Christians in here already, and perhaps some of this uh, would either be encouraging to you or uh, give you some things you could use when you talk to others about Jesus Christ. It's life and death. It's eternal life. Or eternal separation. God doesn't want us to go to hell. God wants us to enjoy new life in Christ here on earth and then as he prepares us to be ready for the end of this age uh, to have a really good job once we check out of our skin <laughs> gets better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful to you for your grace and for your mercy, for your goodness, for your holiness, for your righteousness, and for your love. A love that we acknowledge we can't even understand. A love that said that while we were yet sinners, you sent your only begotten Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to earth where he was terribly abused by us. And then he got nailed to that cross and you put all of our sin on him. And out of your love, out of his love, the love of our God, it got paid for. And in its place, there's this wonderful, deep, abiding joy that it could be paid for, paving the way for us to have a relationship with you. The only way we can have a relationship with you. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that paid for our sin. We praise you for his resurrection that proved his sacrifice was acceptable. We praise you for his continued ministry for his people, ever living to make intercession for the likes of us. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we ask, too, that if there's any here right now, that you'd uh, just uh, invade their spirit with their need to yield their lives up to you. That they might know the joy of new life in Christ, new purpose in life, new ways to think as they walk with you, walk with the Savior all the rest of the days of their lives. Father, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.